We're glad you're here. Um, if this is your first time with us on a Wednesday night, we are studying through the Old Testament. And for the better part of a decade, we did that very, very slowly. And over the course of the last, mm, I don't know, few months, uh, we have turned up the throttle a little bit. And we're, we're generally hitting one book per two weeks, and we're doing overview studies of the Old Testament. So um, if this is your first time with us, um, we are, that's what we're doing. And we're in Joshua tonight. This is part one of Joshua, and we'll finish it up next week. Um, our memory verse is found in 2415. If you want to turn there, you can. It's sort of a chopped up 2415. Um, if, if we read that together, um, uh, just the whole verse, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's not quite what we're used to hearing when we hear that verse. If it's like hung on your door somewhere, we actually have this on our garage door. Um, we bought our house from the beans and you put that there. I don't know when, it's still there. Um, but uh, it's this verse, and our, our verse that we're having these verses each week um, so that we can memorize them with our kids. And so the adults are studying through the same thing that the children are studying through and that the youth are studying through. And so it's choose this day whom you will serve, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So choose this day whom you will serve, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let's pray, and we'll dig into the book. Lord, we come to you now, and we thank you for... Um, the opportunity uh, to study your word tonight uh, as a people, as we look at um, some really sweet victories uh, that you granted to your people, I pray that we would be encouraged that uh, we serve the same God that Joshua served and that you are with us, strengthening us um, as we uh, battle day in and day out um, against the enemy, against the flesh, against unbelief. Uh, Lord, I confess I'm a little scatterbrained um, today. Uh, I don't know why, but I pray that you would not allow that to be a distraction tonight. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, go through the text and we're moving a little more quickly, uh, especially because of the rate we're moving through Scripture, I pray that the Spirit would cause us to stop down where we need to stop down and look at um, specifics where we need to look at them. Uh, Lord, we are thankful uh, for your design um, and for your... Uh, your will to, to give us the work, to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what we're studying. Uh, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna, to, we're going to, seriously, I can't even talk. Like I just prayed about, it. I don't know what the deal is. Um, I had a lot of coffee today. Usually that's helpful. Apparently it's not. We'll consider the particular text that I just read previously more next week because it's got a really interesting context that it falls in where Joshua almost sounds a little crazy in the way that he's encouraging the people. So we'll go, but go to that next week. This week we begin the book of Joshua. Upon finishing Deuteronomy, we finish what's known as the Torah, the law, which is made up of the first five books of the Old Testament. Joshua begins a new section of Scripture for us. So we're moving out of those first five books, and we're moving into a new section of Scripture uh, that'll take us through the next 12 historical books of the Old Testament, which will get us into the fall somewhere um, in 2013 fall. So for the most part, these 12 historical books are largely in chronological order. So my hope is that that'll lend us some good continuity in our study. The big picture view, overview of Joshua. Go ahead and turn back to Joshua 1. I had you turn to the very end, now turn to the very beginning. The big picture view of the book is pretty simple. There's 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, and it's half and half. The first 12 are all about conquest, 
um, the conquest of Canaan, the promised land. And the last 12 are largely about uh, the division of the land between the various tribes of Israel. If you were to read Joshua all the way through in the first 12 chapters, you would be getting excited, hyped up, just like, man, Joshua is bad, and they are whooping everybody. And then you get into like chapter 13 and 14, and it becomes enormously boring, and they're dividing up all the land. So the first half, they just whip all the kings, and I mean, some serious domination. And then the second half is dividing up the land, and it's sort of tedious to read. So that's sort of the big picture view of, of Joshua. Um, and then finally, at the end, it closes with Joshua's final words, which we'll look at next week. So a theme throughout the book of Joshua is conquest. The reason that conquest happens is because certain choices were made by God's people and by God. So we're going to be focusing on conquest, and we're going to, what's another word for conquest, just to make sure we're on the same page? What'd you say? Conquer? What? Annihilating? That's fitting if you've ever read Joshua. Victorious. Yes, all these are good words. And so that's what we're talking about. And so the, the thing that went into the conquest of God's people is that as they just really whip some tail throughout the whole book, um, is that they made certain decisions, they made certain choices, and we're going to look particularly at their choices this week. And next week we're going to look at God's choices that he made that, that played into their victory throughout the book. So sort of our outline for, for the night um, that we'll cover all within the next, you know, 35, 40 minutes, 35 minutes. Ben told me if it's past seven, it's not the Holy Spirit leading me to do that. So, and he's not even teaching tonight, so he's a big whiner. Um, yeah. So, um, what happens in the book of Joshua? Well, the first thing we're going to look at tonight is that the people make some choices. And the, the choices they make are to conquer the land and to destroy their enemies Second choice we're going to look at is to divide the land tribe by tribe. The third choice is to fear and obey the Lord. And in that, we're going to see two things um, that we will we'll probably be able to see in our own lives is that they, they truly fear the Lord and they keep their vows, but they also continue to sin. They still struggle with sin. And so we're going to look at all those things tonight. So first, what happens in the book of Joshua? At the very beginning of the book, Moses has died and God is commanding or commissioning Joshua to take Moses' place. Look at 1, 1 through 9, and read that with me. Not out loud, just listen as I read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you heard those words from the Lord, that's probably the point in time you'd be pretty darn encouraged. Like, all right, God's, God's with us. He's commissioning us. We're, we're moving forward. This is good. Be strong. Be courageous. Um, what are some of the specifics of the commission that we see here? What are some specifics that we just read out loud? Yeah, don't veer from the law at all. You obey it specifically. What else? How do they obey it? What's the encouragement in that commission? Yeah, meditate on it day and night. I just kind of wonder, how, how often do we meditate on the Word? Um, a lot of times we'll read the Word or we'll discuss the Word, but when can we just shut our mouths and meditate on it? Um, a lot of times, just, just out of curiosity, does anyone have trouble sleeping? Anybody? Okay, a lot of the room, um, some people think, I I guess I'm crazy, I'm the only person. It turns out there's a lot of us who have trouble sleeping. I don't know why, but this says to meditate on the Word day and night. God might wake you up in the middle of the night because you need to be meditating on the Word in some way. Um, And don't just do that at night because you're frustrated and you don't want to be frustrated. Do that at night because you want to be brought into the will of the Lord and you want to understand it more and you want to obey. So the way to obey that is to meditate on it and think on it, to really sit and consider it. And our lives are so fast and crazy and ridiculous. I mean, from the point that I left my office and got in here to teach, I had four conversations about, okay, so this is going to be here, and when's this going to be? And then, okay, the, who's meeting with who here? How many, who else is going to be there? And then are, are we just rolling into the next meeting? Or, like all that between there and here. And our lives can get pretty crazy. And if there's not enough time for us to meditate on the Word, um, that's an imbalance, and that shows a... a, a, a a hitch in our, in our priorities that we need to consider. So some specifics of the commission. One, don't veer from the law at all, and the way you do that is to meditate on the Word um, day and night. What are some other specifics of the commission? Strong and courageous. Yeah, that, that's repeated. Strong and courageous, obedience, no fear of wrong things. Those are things that are repeated. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Um, what, what else are some of the specifics? What are they supposed to do? Say that again? Yeah? Cross that Jordan and claim the land. Now, when, um, since the last time that command was given, how long have we had? Let's see who was paying attention during the Deuteronomy study. Morris, you can't answer. Since the last time that the spies went and said, oh, they're too big, and God said, okay, you're going to go in the wilderness for a while. How long has it been? 40 years. Maybe 41, but we won't be too particular. Around 40 years. And so, uh, here they are again, and God's saying, uh, Moses has died. The generation before that was faithless has died. Many have been born now while in the wilderness, and we are moving into the promised land. You obey, you be strong, you be courageous, don't veer from the word, and let's step out and go to battle. That's what's going on here at the beginning of Joshua. It's a really big moment for the people of God because the promised land, I mean, when did talk of the promised land start? Yeah. 
Abraham, yeah, yeah. Father Abraham, any sons? Any son of Father Abraham? Yeah, yeah. That, it, it started a while back, and then we had this 40-year wandering, and we had you know, them coming out. And so this is a big deal, and God's saying it's time to go. And Joshua's the man for the job. Joshua is bad, B-A-D, bad. Throughout the book, you're just like, man, I would not want to mess with that guy. He is strong, he is courageous, and he's staying in step with the Lord. And the result is, man, he he hands some behinds to some kings over and 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 over again. And so, one, like you said the word annihilation earlier. That's a lot of what happens in, in Joshua. So, um, the commission is be strong, be courageous, don't veer from the law, make sure that you meditate on it day and night, and you move forward and you go to that promised land. So, immediately we see Joshua move in this bold and courageous obedience. So, look at the next two verses, verses 10 and 11. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days. I just heard this from the Lord, so we're within three days. I know it's been 40 years, but within three days, we're out. You're to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, we mentioned it's been 40 years. This is going to bring us to the first choice that was made by Israel in this new season for them as a nation. This, this is a, a, new, um, a new season for the nation of Israel. And the first decision we're seeing here is Israel chooses to conquer the land and destroy their enemies. It's a choice they had to make because God has commanded something, and they either say, okay, we're going to obey or we're not going to obey. And it's, it's not time to go, well, we're not ready yet. Let's wander for another 40 years. No, it's time to make the choice to go and, 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 and conquer the enemies and, um, and the land. So, in the first five chapters of Joshua, the people send spies to the fortified city of Jericho, and then they prepare themselves for the first military move against Jericho. Uh, what happened the last time we sent spies? How'd that go? Yeah, big pansies. We'll just go with that. They were big pansies, except for who? There were two guys who weren't. Joshua and Caleb, and we're going to see them prospering in the book of Joshua um, because of their faithfulness previously. They were 40 years old, and now here um, at, 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 toward the end of Joshua, um, we see Caleb as an 85-year-old saying, I'm still strong. I still can do this, and let's do the, let's, I want that inheritance. I've been faithful to the Lord, and it's good. And so those guys continue to prosper because they were faithful, but everyone else was faithless. So here it's different because they send spies in, and the spies come back, and it's interesting because the the record that they give the report that they give is tempered with strength and courage like a lot of times we'll give a a report on something and if we're just looking at it in the flesh it's like hey how are things going well um this all stinks this is all a complete miserable depressing situation but if we temper it with the strength and courage that we're commanded of and that the lord commands of us our report will be different. So it's interesting, the difference in the report came from the fact that they were told to be strong and, and to be courageous. And so that should, that should help us when we're trying to evaluate a situation, say, our strength and courage playing into this evaluation because by God's design, they're supposed to. Um, look at 6.15. There, they sent out the spies. They're preparing themselves for the first military move against Jericho. And we're gonna read verses uh, six fifteen through twenty one. 
On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. So they've done this six days previously, and on the seventh day, it's a little bit different. Um, And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is given you, and the, uh, and the city and all that is within it, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So when the first two, first few spies went in, um, Rahab knew what the Lord had done through Israel, and she um, she covered for him. Essentially, uh, the the their form of the police came and said, where are the spies? Because I know they're here to, to see what our weaknesses are. And she hid them on her roof under some sheaves and then let it, she lived in the wall there. Her house was actually in the wall. And so they let, she let them down on a rope, uh, sent you know, the, the police one way and then they went another way and then they ended up escaping. And, and that was, that's gonna be a huge benefit for her and her family in the future. So that's why she's mentioned here. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom you sent. Verse 18, but you, this is very important, keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Generally, the children's story stops at verse 20. Why do most nations currently fight wars? What's the purpose of most of the wars happening on planet Earth right now? Potentially over land. What else? Power, money, and uh, political sway. Absolutely. Um, Why is Israel fighting this war against Jericho? What's the point of that? Like, what's the goal when the war's over? Subdue the land. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. And what's the effect they hope to have on the people of the land? Kill them. Annihilate. Edge of the sword. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're not doing that just to be killers and murderers and and violent people. God has said, you go in and you execute destruction completely with the edge of the sword. So, growing up, I was taught the story as Israel winning without having to actually battle. That's kind of the way it was cushioned um, for me as a child. Like, hey, they didn't even have to fight. They just yelled and boom, they won. Um, uh, They just marched around the city and those walls came down. But in reality, once the walls came down, they killed everyone. And that's a little different to illustrate in a children's Bible. So um, between that and the uh, big circumcision thing that goes on, there's some weird coloring sheets we have for the children tonight, but they'll, they'll show you those afterwards. Um, so this generation is significantly more faithful than the last, a lot more faithful. They're, they're very different than the previous generation. And God's promises are being fulfilled through them. Ultimately, they conquer Canaan, 
and they move into the promised land. And what we need to see in this is that it foreshadows what God is doing today. How do y'all think that maybe this is foreshadowing what God is doing today? What God did with Israel then and what he's doing with his people today. He's building a kingdom for his own. And how is he doing that? Yes, through Christ who has gone and prepared a place for us. Josh was a type of Christ here. And the way that God moves with his people then is the way he moves with us now. Um, Mark Dever says, he calls together his people into his place under his rule. That's what we're doing here tonight. He's called together his people into his place under his rule. Having led this conquest, Joshua was a type of Christ, our great captain who has conquered not just a passing earthly kingdom, but sin and sin's horrible offspring, death. So that's what Christ conquers for us, and that's how we have the certain victory over that enemy. Um, these are good and faithful decisions being made by God's people who are moving in the strength and the courage that he commanded them. Um, just for a, a moment, consider uh, my question. It, what is the significance of strength and courage coming to us from God in the form of a command? Yeah, if it was a suggestion, we would think we had an option. Have y'all ever considered that strength and courage aren't optional? Raise your hand if you're timid. <laughs> you get it? Um, timid people won't raise their hands. Kind of do. Um, uh, no, yeah, it, it comes in the form of a command, and a lot of times we we don't think like that. What happens if you don't think about strength as a command? Yeah. I try to muster it on my own. What else? We don't think of strength as a command. Yeah. Yeah, we, we can be unnecessarily timid or lacking in boldness if we don't see the strength that God commands. It's, it's, I'm like, can I be all in? I'm not sure. We weigh it according to the circumstance. And let me tell you, God's people face some crazy circumstances. In one instance, they go and they... Um, they just whip up on everybody. And then some other people hear about it, and so they say, hey, um, Israel's really, really just dominating everybody in battle, so let's all battle together. Let's all get together and go take them. And so there's these different fronts that are coming at them, and in every one of them, they're different. Some, sometimes it's 8,000 people. Sometimes it's tens of thousands of people. And in every one that comes at them, um, they're to be strong and courageous. Like there's no Sometimes we think, oh, I, know, I only need to be strong and courageous when it's really bad or it's really hard or something's really challenging. But that's how we move. We're strong and we're courageous because that's what God commands. The second choice that Israel makes is the choice to divide the land tribe by tribe. We're going to talk more about that next week on the division of the land and the significance there. The third thing that Israel chooses is to vow to fear and obey God. Turn back to 1.16, Joshua 1.16. One sixteen through 18. Remember, we're saying that Israel made this choice and to vow to fear and obey God. And in 16 through 18 in chapter 1, it says this. Joshua has assumed command. Joshua has said, in three days we're leaving. This is how we're going to leave. This is what the Lord has shown me, and we're going to do this. We're going into the promised land. I will lead you there. And they respond by saying in verse 16, they answered Joshua, 
All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. There's a really sweet encouragement from the people back to Joshua here. Um, When the people back to Joshua... um, Encourage him to be strong and courageous as he leads them. It's a pretty sweet moment and an exchange here. He has said, this is what we're doing, be strong and courageous. And they said, we will do it. Joshua, be strong and courageous. It's a sweet deal here. And uh, one, one way that the people vow to fear, vow fear and obedience to God is by submitting to the leadership that he puts in place here. Um, they grumbled against Moses. Um, there were lessons learned there. Now Joshua was in place. And we see as a people a like-mindedness to say, you know what, we're going to do that and we're going to move forward. Look at verses, chapter 5 now, verses 1 through 12. So they're vowing to fear and obey God, and they're putting some things back in place that, that were lost over the course of 40 years of wandering in the desert. Uh, 5 verses 1 through 12. Guys, you'll cringe through this whole section. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west... And all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So there's a moment here where Israel has been so dominant in conquering these kingdoms that those that are sort of in the surrounding areas are like, oh, they're just drained of any hope to be able to fight against them. They're just, they're kind of just still um, frozen uh, in their fear. Uh, it says um, their, their hearts melted. The, there was no longer any spirit in them for them to, to move forward and try to battle against Israel. So at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth, which means the hill of foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt had not been circumcised because they were being faithless. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Of course they did. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day, which is, sounds like the Hebrew word for to roll. So, whew, I don't know if anything could prove allegiance to God more than being circumcised with a flint knife as a grown man. And after being circumcised, they partake of the Passover. Let's quickly move on to the next section. The Passover, verse 10. Um, real quick, before I read this, where do circumcision and Passover come from? Yeah, the law, God. He, God gave them to Abraham. And there's, they're called ordinances. There's something that, that they are supposed to do as part of their worship. And God says, this is what's required. This is something you do. And it's to be kept as, from generation to generation. And so, 
Um, let, let's look at what happens here in the next few verses. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And listen to this, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. That's a sweet moment right there. Um, and such, a, such provision from God. He gave them that manna just as long as they needed it. And once there was the produce from the promised land, no more manna showed up that next morning on the ground. Pretty sweet movement here from God. So what does the reinstitution of these practices, particularly circumcision and Passover, um, accomplish? What are they accomplishing here? What's being said by the people of God here? Yeah, it's, it's a big recommitment saying the Lord is our God. The one true God is our God. The father of Abraham is our father. Dever states, they are in a sense becoming God's people again after a veritable state of suspended animation during the 40 years in the wilderness. So look at chapter 8, verses 32 through 35. Chapter 8, 32 through 35. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of the Mount Gerizim and the half of them on the front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of the Lord. And afterward he read, all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is what it looks like to get your life back in order where God is truly your God. They're going to the word. They're reading it out loud. They don't want anyone to miss it. They're practicing the ordinances. They're doing this as a people. This is what it looks like to commit your life. Or, you know, there's, a, there's talk about recommitting your life to God. Um, I don't want to be too loose with that. Like, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. But for someone who is saying, you know, he's, he's my Lord, and, and maybe I have stumbled, I have fallen away, but this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go to the Word. We're going to read it out loud. We don't want anyone to miss it. We're going to partake of the ordinances, and we're going to do that as a people. That's what it looks like to come back in line and back in step with the Lord. Um, so this symbolizes the fact that they're indeed God's people. They're reading his law, and they want to know it. So Israel keeps the vows that they made to the Lord, and it's good, and it leads to a lot of success. If you read through those first chapters, over and over again, they just dominate and completely annihilate, destroy um, uh, tribe after tribe after tribe because that's what God commanded them to do. And in fact, it's, it's a hard read. If, if you've never read much of the Bible before, Joshua would be a very hard place to start because it gets pretty rough and sometimes it's a, there's a regular practice of taking the kings and killing them and hanging them on a tree until it gets dark and then burying them as a sign. Like everyone needs to see what just happened because this is what God commanded of us. So it's a book with a lot of war, um, but their commitment and their vows to obey the Lord led to their success. So look at 2423. We're going to hit a few verses quickly and then... Uh, and kind of wrap this up. 24, 23 says this. 
Joshua said, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So Joshua is making this command to put away foreign gods. Why does he make this command? Yeah, some of them are carried with them from Egypt. Um, there, there's a tendency to try to pick them up along the way, which that happened once and it was, it was, it was tragic. Um, but he's saying, we're going to put those away. We're God's people and we're not going to be about that. Um, and he makes this because it's, it's still a problem. It's still something that's going on in the people of God and they're battling against it. Now keep that in mind and now turn back to 618. We read it earlier and it was when they were going to uh, move forward with the battles. He says in 618, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them um, lest when you have devoted them, you make any of the devoted things, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So those things that are um, dedicated for destruction, if you take them, what does that do to you? Makes you de- dedicated for destruction, set aside for destruction. So that's a big problem. So there's this pretty stark warning here, and, it, and it's made very clear. Now look at seven one. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, and, uh, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. While God's people are far, while this generation is far more faithful than the previous generation, they're not without sin. Uh, yes, they keep their vows and obey, but they still sin. So my question, what's so wrong with what Achan has done? God commanded him not to do it. It may seem no big deal. Good night. We have conquered kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. I've seen pile of gold after pile of gold after pile of gold. And just because I take a handful of things and hide it in the dirt floor of my tent, is that really all that big of a deal? I mean, I didn't take it from those eight, you know, tribes. And it is a big deal. God commanded, you, you do not do that. Because it shows that when you're battling, your heart is not, is not in it for the Lord. It's in it for yourself. And when you're focusing on those things as you battle. So, um, who does the sin affect? Do y'all know if y'all have heard this story before? Everybody. All of Israel is affected. Because little old Ai whoops them. Little old Ai. They, they have dominated. And it says about 3,000 men went up from there because they said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And they got chased out of there and made look like fools. Well, the, the concern is we're going and we're battling and we're battling and we're battling. And now all the surrounding nations and tribes are going to hear that AI are the ones who handed it to us. Well, no one's going to be fearful of our Lord. No one's going to be fearful of us. And now they're all going to want to come against us because they know that we're weak now. That's part of the problem and the, uh, the, the, the concern as far as the military strategy goes and the, and the uh, war strategy here. Uh, as they're moving forward. So um, it affects everyone. And it says, um, uh, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And then look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies like they did with Ai because they have become devoted for destruction. 
man, this is a critical moment right here. God is saying, you became your, all of Israel became devoted for destruction because I set you all apart as my own. And what Achan did was horribly wrong. He says, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves tomorrow for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies unless you take away the devoted things from among you. And that brings all, all the tribes are led in procession to try to figure out who this is. And finally, Achan fesses up and he, can, and he says, I did this. And do you know what happens to Achan? He and his entire family are stoned and burned. That's serious. Stoned and burned. And then they buried him, buried him under a big pile of rocks. So that when people say, what's that big pile of rocks? They say, that's Achan's family. They took devoted things and the Lord commands us not to do that. Very, very serious moment. Interestingly, the example from Achan is one of the few sins of commission in the whole book of Joshua. A sin of commission meaning um, something that you did that was wrong. It's one of the few points in the entire book of Joshua where it's that kind of sin. Throughout the book of Joshua, most of the sins mentioned that the people struggle with are sins of omission, that is of not doing what they should have done. That's most of what's mentioned in the book of Joshua. One in particular that I would like us to look at um, as we close is in chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. In chapter 9, they come up against the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites are quite a deceptive little bunch, uh, little schemers, and they're not very strong. They're fearful of Israel, and what happens is they say, you know what, if they get here, they're just going to dominate us like everybody else, and so they, like, dressed up. Like, let's put patches on our clothes and let's take the bread and let it dry out so it looks like we've been traveling for a long time. And so they go to the leadership of Israel and they say, hey, we've been traveling for a long time. Can we, we would love to partner with y'all and be your, be your comrades, your, your cohorts, and we want to make a covenant with y'all. And they just don't look like a threat in the least. They don't, I mean, they don't look like a threat at all. They look like people who've been traveling for a long time. It would be like someone coming in here and saying, Oh man, just kind of dragging their foot. Oh, I've been walking for so long. Can I just, can I, can y'all just let me be with you and, and hang out with you? And their, their t- clothes are all tattered and torn and they, they got dirt smudged on their face. And, and you find out they live right there in a big two story house across the street. It, it's like, wait, what are they, why are they doing that? They don't want to have to fight Israel. So they, they deceive them. They make it look like they're traveling. They make it look like they're not a threat at all. And they make it look like they're not part of the region that they're supposed to conquer. So they are very, very deceitful. And here's what, look at what, um, uh, look at verse 11. The Gibeonites are making their appeal in 9:11. So our elders and all the inhabitants in our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say to them, the Israelites, we are your servants. Come now, make, it a, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. <laughs> the wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst. <laughs> like they're so deceitful, little punks. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Israel did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. 
Now, what are they supposed to do to the Gibeonites? Every one of them. By the command of the Lord, they are dedicated for destruction. But they made a decision without prayer. They did not seek the counsel of the Lord in this, this, this uh, opportunity that just happened to present itself. So, the huge mistake that the elders made in dealing with the Gibeonites was no prayer. It was a big mistake on behalf of the Israelite elders. Israel neglected to pray because, as Deborah says, he says, they were confident in their analytical abilities to discern the Gibeonites' motives. We've fought a lot of people. We've been doing this for years, or maybe days, weeks at this point. But we, we're good at this. We know what's up. We know when someone's a threat. We know when they're not. These people are just traveling along. We're not worried about them. We don't have to devote them to destruction. Clearly, their bread is dry. Their wineskins are burst. Their clothes are tattered. That's fine. Let's just let's make a, a covenant with them, and we won't hurt them. We'll give them our word on behalf of our Lord. And the problem is they did not seek the counsel of the Lord before they did that, and it was a huge, huge mistake. They did not have what they needed to discern the Gibeonites' motives even though they were really good at discerning motives. Yep. Don't make a covenant with the people. That, that is exactly right. So they were disobeying in a number of ways in this transaction. So how can we be guilty of similar movement? What are some thoughts that come to your head? How can we be guilty of similar movement? They felt confident in their abilities, so they moved forward prayerlessly. Walking according to the wisdom of men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just make a decision, do what we need to do. I'm tired, no need to seek the counsel from the Lord. That's an issue. What are some other ways that we can be guilty of the similar movement? Yeah, if, if there's something you've done for a long time, you, you, you can become confident in it. When I had a band where we traveled leading worship, and you'd encounter a lot of people that, man, I've, I've done this a million times. I'll get up in front of these thousands of people. I know what to do. I know how to get everyone all excited about Jesus. Let's do this thing. And it's like, is anyone going to pray before we get started on this thing? Is anyone going to go to the Lord and ask for his direction in this evening? Or are we just going to turn on the light show and the smoke machine and do it up and get them excited about Jesus. So we can be guilty of similar movement in a lot of ways. We can be guilty of saying, I'm very familiar with the word and I'm just going to move forward to what it says. That's good to do, but you, if you're familiar with the word, the word says pray when you do that. It says to pray when you do that. Um, you may think, I've been married for a long time. I know how to do this. Well, if, if you're not praying, you're not moving in obedience. Um, parenting. Gosh, I mean, we have two one-year-olds and some other uh, older kids too, um, and uh, and I don't know how many there are. I, I lose count, and uh, they're, they're usually there. And uh, but yeah, it's it's like you can just get so tired. I got okay, yeah, okay, I get it. You're you're angry at her. I get it. Okay, stop. We're gonna do it. And you just kind of move forward, make your decision, um, uh, uh, diffuse the situation, but. 
Are you praying about how to move in those things? You can become so familiar with things and think you're confident in your own abilities that you move prayerlessly. And that was a huge problem for the, uh, the Israelite elders. They, they made a bad mistake there. And the, the result was that, um, that later on, someone got mad at the Gibeonites for, for making a covenant with Israel. And they said, let's go whoop the Gibeonites. And guess who had to come to the rescue? Israel. So it was like, oh, you created a little heartache there with your covenant that was godless because now um, you have a covenant not to hurt them, and now they're saying, hey, these people are going to kill us. Are you going to hook us up with some, some of your army? And so um, how can we safeguard against such arrogance? I think praying. Um, even if we handle, if we have a really great handle on the word, even if we feel good about our insights into a particular situation, even when there is a plurality like the Israelite elders who are in agreement, God's commands should still drive us to our knees, seeking wisdom from above, knowing that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Israel was commendable in their obedience to be strong and to take courage. They were, however, not commendable when their strength kept them from prayer at a critical moment. So that said, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, I pray that we would continue to look to you for strength and for courage and to, to, to hear that and to see that as a command from you to, to walk in that rightly. Um, but I pray that our strength would never make us prayerless, uh, ever. I, I pray for the women's retreat this weekend. Um, I pray that no one would feel like, you know, we've done this last year, we know what we're doing, and moving it prayerlessly. I, I pray that it would be bathed in, in prayer. Um, I pray that as families, we would continually go to you for, for um, discretion and for insight and for wisdom. I think of James, it says, if we lack wisdom, let, him, let us ask you who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given, but we should ask without doubting. Um, let us not doubt because we're confident in the word, but Lord, please keep our confidence in the word um, from, from prayerlessness. Lord, help us to move forward and be in prayer at all times like your word says. Um, I do pray that we would be strong. I do pray that we would be courageous. And I pray that um, by the work of the Spirit, you would keep us in step with you. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.